Before we get into today's episode, I want to thank a couple sponsors that we were able to secure for this season, uh, season five of the Scuttlebutt. It's exciting to be able to get sponsors for this. Uh, we're really thankful for them. Uh, the first one, you might have heard them already, is D&D Metal Recycling and Auto Salvage. The Scuttlebutt's been pairing with D&D for quite some time. Uh, D&D began as a small hauling and used auto parts operation in the Pittsburgh area in the late 1970s and has grown into a full service metal recycling company with two locations, Lawrenceville and Tarentum. These are state-of-the-art scrapyards with deep roots in the community and a strong commitment to the service of their customers. D&D accepts all types of metal, both ferrous and non-ferrous, that may be generated by industrial manufacturing, construction and demolition, small commercial entities, as well as individual customers. They have a wide variety of material handling equipment and are capable of managing any job in a timely and efficient manner. You can contact them for quotes and availability at D&D, &D, that's D and D, autosalvage.com. Thank you, D&D, &D, for supporting this podcast. Uh, been wonderful collaborating with you, and uh, we're looking forward to, to being with you uh, all through season five here. We'd also like to thank a new sponsor for the Scuttlebutt, Tobacco-Free Adagio Health. Tobacco-Free Adagio Health is dedicated to preventing and reducing tobacco use and increasing education about tobacco hazards and secondhand smoke. Of course, the best way to be tobacco-free is to never start. And we'll be sharing more about the many programs offered by Tobacco-Free Adagio Health in the future. You can check out more of their work at tobaccofree.adagiohealth. That's A-D-A-G-I-O health.org. Tobaccofree.adagiohealth.org. Org. Um, really excited to have sponsors on board uh, for the Scuttlebutt, and uh, I hope you enjoy this upcoming episode. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Scuttlebutt. I'm your host, Sean Hall, Director of Programming with the Veterans Breakfast Club. We're a nonprofit in Western PA whose mission is to create communities of listening around veterans and their stories to connect, educate, heal, and inspire. Uh, the subtitle of the Scuttlebutt is Understanding Military Culture. As we go into the end of season five here and begin season six, we're going to begin producing themed episodes every other week. And then in our off weeks, we're going to be hitting more military headlines because I feel like uh, those there's a lot of military headlines that you have to sift through. And we want to be able to bring those to you at least every other week. Uh, Ryan will be joining me uh, shortly to talk about uh, some of the headlines that we've seen across the military sphere. Uh, some are interesting, some are funny, some are more serious. But I hope that you enjoy this episode today. And uh, if, as always, please like, share, subscribe, and ring the bell on YouTube so you're the first to know whenever we release new episodes every Monday. And you can always reach out to me at Sean, S-H-A-U-N, at veteransbreakfastclub.org with any questions, thoughts, or ideas for other episodes. Um, but anyways, enjoy. Hello, everyone. My name is Ryan All. I'm an Army veteran, and uh, I get to help out with the scuttlebutt. And we're we're doing some some headlines this week, so uh, let's just jump right in. Um, recent task and purpose article about the uh, Marine anime style recruitment posters are going viral. So this is really interesting. If you get a chance to look at this, they the artist has taken traditional U.S. Marine uh, recruitment posters and and, and put in anime style uh, characters into it, which I think is like super kind of cool and kind of exciting. Anime is a thing that a lot of the, the younger kids are looking at. So if you're trying to get young kids in the military, you got to, you got to use anime. That's for sure. So uh, I think it's, I think it's pretty cool. Um, it is just interesting to see the, the different artwork done um, on it. Uh, and some of the, the comments and the such is, is very interesting to read. So it's kind of a cool look at, at different stuff. They've updated some of the equipment being used um in in some of the pictures which is also kind of neat to see 
Um, they certainly make them HD. I'm going to pull, if pulling up one yeah. here, just like, yeah. you know, that looks like what, 1930s, 1920s even? Like it looks really old, that that recruitment poster, but updated to full HD with, with an, an anime character. Um, what I want is is like a Dragon Ball Z Goku, like yeah, powering up. You know that that might get me fired up enough to like sign up for the Marines. At least if I would think so. If you look at the next one down, it takes a traditional like World War One style Marine and outfits them with all this 21st century kit with the with all the optics and the new helmets. I think that I thought that was looking really cool. Do you think that it, that long pink hair is regulation? Absolutely not. But I've can tell you i'd probably be pretty scared of it if i saw someone you know naruto running across the field at me with here's the challenge yeah. this halloween i want you to be her <laughs> get your gear out put on a long pink wig be our anime poster hey man you know if the paycheck's good enough if maybe we'll make a bet and if, if you don't then i will okay gotcha <laughs> It's good that the military sort of opening up the playbook a bit. It's not always just Uncle Sam pointing at you. Like we can, you know, we can appropriate. <laughs> Is that yeah. the right word? We can appropriate some of these anime characters to help. I think so. And uh, you know, those people who 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 are super interested in the Uncle Sam posters, they're gonna they're joining anyway. You need to get those people in the French. You need to get those. You need to get those those kids who who are who are into alternative things and uh, get them to join that's what you need you need outside the box thinkers military needs all that <laughs> it's true um well also next headline we are continuing on with this this sort of running news story i'm gonna, I'm gonna take a minute here to, to read this out to you this is from task and purpose as this goes back all the way to our first episode of the scuttlebutt that we've sort of reported on through the seasons is the updates to the bonham richard fire because that was happening as the scuttlebutt was being uh first conceived and produced um but where we're at with the story at this point is the Navy will proceed with a court-martial of a junior sailor accused of setting fire to the USS Bonham Richard, uh, which I, if you look back at season one episode, I did not know how to say Bonham Richard, and I do know now that it is a ship, not a boat. Um, this is despite a Navy judge's recommendation against it due to the lack of evidence, according to the sailor's lawyer. Uh, Seaman apprentice Ryan Sawyer Mays was charged with hazarding a vessel and arson following a one-year investigation by the uh, Federal Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives and the Naval Criminal Investigative Service. Mays is currently assigned to a desk job and maintains his innocence. Captain Angela Tang, who presided over the three-day Article 32 hearing in December, told Vice Admiral Steve Kohler she perceived that the evidence she heard was not strong enough to reach the high standard of, quote, beyond a reasonable doubt that Mays is guilty. Um, this is coming from Mays' defense attorney. Uh, the fire started the morning of July 12, 2020, and burned for nearly five days while the ship was docked at Naval Base San Diego. It was uh, wrapping up a $190 million upgrade at the time, and contractors working on it while we're ready to hand it back over to the Navy. And more than 60 people were injured fighting the fire, uh, which was damaged... Um, in the excessive cost of $1.2 billion. So they weren't gonna fix it. It was later scrapped, the ship. Um, a Navy investigation into the fire preparedness of the ship, crew, and base led to recommendations that 36 Navy officials face disciplinary action, including the head of the Naval Surface Force Pacific and the Rear Admiral who led Navy Region Southwest, as well as the ship's commander and executive officer and a host of other managers. But that doesn't mean that Mays set the fire here. Uh, Barthel, his defense attorney, argued at that third Article 32 hearing 
There is no physical evidence linking Mays to the fire other than the fact that he owned a lighter. This is according to the testimony. Um, there were no fingerprints, DNA, or video evidence found, and the witness who said he saw Mays prior to the blaze changed his story several times before finally identifying Mays as the man who entered the lower vehicle storage deck where the fire started. So um, that's sort of their story. They're sticking to it. Um, we'll see how that develops. Uh, but at this point, from the task and purpose article, it doesn't seem like there's enough evidence to really pin it on Mays and be like, this is the guy that did it. Yeah, and I know that uh, what had come on previously was he was, you know, a disgruntled, you know, uh, Navy seaman who, you know, I guess I think didn't quite make it through Navy SEAL training and, right. and wasn't really happy with his assignment um, at the ship. But again, that's, you know, in America, you're innocent until proven guilty. And um, it doesn't seem like there's enough evidence to link him to this. And and I think that's probably the first point that come. And, and, and if they can't prove it, then, you know, I mean, you're talking about a lot of time in prison. So you have to be pretty sure that this that this individual certainly did this on purpose and um the other the other point that comes across to me is navy ships are expensive like you see those numbers you're like wow like they spent all that money refurbishing it and they had to scrap it and billions of dollars i mean it's it's a tragedy i think what i also read about that was you know there were some accelerants used and they they couldn't prove and and, and the fact that um you know that that there were letters of reprimand that went up the chain of command is also a bit telling in the fact that like whether this did or did not happen caused by this person, you you probably should have had better safeguards in place to make sure that the ship wouldn't be susceptible to this type of damage. Mm -hmm. So that's another part of it as well, which may be leading to why the, the judge is saying, like, don't pursue this case. There's not enough evidence. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, that's that's unfortunate. Pretty crazy. It is. And, and, and just along with with Bonham Shard, the recent F-35 that that hit the deck of the aircraft carrier slid off into the South China Sea. Yeah. Um, I mean, talk about expensive. Uh, F-35s are notoriously expensive. Um, and, a, you know, a slight accident like that happens. And thank God no one was was seriously injured or killed. Um, but you lose a, an F-35. That's it's not an easy thing that you can just reach in your pocket and pay for another one. No, no, that's a, uh, that's a big no, no. You don't want to lose, you don't want those lying around. Mm -hmm. the... And I found something interesting about this, just to bring it up on the scuttlebutt, talking with some of my other civilian friends about this, you know, they're like, wow, like that's crazy. And it's like, yeah, but something that's interesting in talking with veterans is like the guys that were on the deck. Yeah. Terrifying. That thing hit flames and it goes off the other side, but those guys are all trained for that. Like they're ready at a moment's yeah. notice that if that were to happen, they are on top of it. Um, you know, they're ready to put out fires, they're ready to, to go into uh, um, chaos control, damage control yeah. mode at, at a moment's yeah. notice. I was like, so that was something that I wanted to mention to them. Uh, my friends is just like, yeah, but these guys like, they're all at the ready, like, you know, every plane comes in, you're not just sitting there like having a beer, maybe <laughs> definitely not having a beer on a Navy ship. Um, but you're, you're watching, you're waiting. Um, so when that thing hit, those guys jumped to it. Um, and that yeah. was, that was another thing that I think the got glossed over a bit yeah yeah I, I would agree i mean i think they were trying to keep that whole thing under wraps because losing a, a brand new stealth fighter is never a good thing um i, I lose my keys and i hear from it about it for weeks so <laughs> um anyway the sailing headline. yeah speaking of sailing um another headline here the phoenix va launches a sailing program for veterans uh very exciting what what jumped out to me about this headline was the, like you know, Phoenix is in a desert, like, where are you sailing? <laughs> like, what's going on? But, you know, reading into it, this is, this is part of 
the VA's um, therapy program for adaptive sports programs that, that look to help veterans uh, dealing with physical conditions or mental health disorders like PTSD. Um, I'm sure there are lakes, you know, in Arizona where they can go sailing. Uh, and I think that this really speaks to the broadening of the VA um, uh, trying to find new and uh, more effective ways to provide uh, treatment and purpose to veterans who are struggling with things like that. Um, so I think that uh, there's been several different places that have that have taken out recreational, you know, uh, recreational type activities like that. Uh, so I'm excited to see how it works out. I mean, um, the VA is certainly trying uh, a lot of different things to make sure that uh, veterans are um, taken care of uh, in ways that that fit them, right? Patient-centered care, um, which I think is great. So uh, good on the VA for attempting to, uh, for rolling out these programs and, and finding new ways to help veterans. I think that that's, that's awesome. Do you think as a veteran, a lot of the sort of outdoorsy, um, I want to call them treatments because that's what they're sort of set up as it seems. And there's, there's a fair number of organizations that invite you out and you go hunting or they invite you out and, you know, you do campfires, you do hikes, you do the Appalachian trail, uh, you know, sailing, uh, all of these things. Do you see them as like, yeah, that those are types of things that, that veterans really, uh, flock to, um, as sort of a means to like get out of their house and, and get into something. I think that those that do, I think more should. Um, and I think those that do find a, a sense of purpose and community that they may or may not have realized that they were missing. Um, and that helps alleviate a lot of their other problems. Um, so I think that they are very effective. So I've been involved in, in quite a few, whether it's hockey or, you know, I rode the greater Allegheny passage down to DC with, with some veterans um, and different hikes and different things like that. And, and yeah, I think that they are, um, from every veteran I've spoken to who, who has gotten involved in things like this, it gives them a purpose, which they didn't realize they were missing. Or if they do realize they're missing, they can't find a way to get engaged somewhere. Um, so I think these types of programs are fantastic. Um, and looking at it from the outside point of view, you're like, what's sailing going to do to help a guy with, with PTSD? Well, it's actually going to do a lot. Um, it's going to you know, provide him with a way to focus, a way to remove himself from anxiety-inducing situations. It's, it's going to get him get that veteran involved in, uh, in the community and, and, and learn something new and, and focus on something. And um, they're, they're just great. These types of programs uh, do a lot, I think. It develops like a different, a different level of teamwork because a lot of yeah. what you're missing when you leave the military is that, that team atmosphere. And certainly sailing is, you can't, you guys, you could do it on your own, but you have to be pretty, pretty experienced at that point. Um, but working with a team to be able to accomplish something like that. And I say sunlight, being here in Pittsburgh, where we get what? 10 days of sun a year. Um, <laughs> any bit of sunlight probably is a good thing um, in the long run. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that leads me into sort of the, the next uh, headline that I wanted to cover. This comes from military.com. Uh, the headline read, nearly 4,000 more post 9-11 vets have died in the past 20 years than anticipated uh, a new study finds. Um, this is kind of what we're talking about with the idea of like getting out there, getting, getting out of your, your comfort zone, joining a team or doing a sport or something that might help you. But um, going over the highlights here, uh, post 9-11 veterans are, are dying at a higher rate than Americans overall, particularly through accidents, suicide and homicide, uh, a new research has found. The numbers are even higher for veterans who have suffered uh, TBI, traumatic brain injury. Uh, veterans who have served since September 11, 2001 are dying by a via suicide 
at twice the rate of Americans overall, with homicide claiming retired service members at one and a half times the rate of the general population. Um, they also had a slightly higher rates of accidental deaths, according to this study that was published uh, February 11th in JAMA, J-A-M-A, -A, Network Open. Veterans who experienced a mild traumatic brain injury died uh, at nearly twice the general rate for accidents from 2002 to 2018 and three times the rate by suicide, while those with moderate to severe brain injuries were five times as likely to die by suicide and faced a threefold risk of murdered or dying in an accident. Um, the researchers are led by Jeffrey Howard. He's an associate professor uh, of public health at the University of Texas at San Antonio, and they uh, reviewed records of more than 2.5 million post 9-11 veterans to catalog their long-term health outcomes uh, with a focus on those with a history of brain injury. Um, they found an estimated 3,858 excess deaths among post 9-11 veterans compared with the general population. More of those deaths were attributed to accidents and homicides, which is interesting. It, it, you know, you hear a lot about the uh, um, the high numbers of veteran suicides, but you don't necessarily hear about the high numbers of veteran homicides. Um, the research found that uh, excess deaths were concentrated among younger veterans aged 18 to 44, and those who have suffered a TBI with suicide and accidental deaths accounting for the bulk of those deaths. You also don't really hear a lot about the accidental deaths that happen uh, among veterans. Um, Jeffrey, the lead researcher, called his study an awareness-generating article. So it's not all doom and gloom. This is to uh, shine a light on something that needs to be uh, talked about. He said he hopes it places attention on the deaths among veterans that are preventable, such as accidents, suicide, and homicide through non-medical interventions, kind of like what we were talking about recently, just now with uh, getting out, sailing, biking, um, uh, hunting. The takeaway here, he's quoted as saying, is that having these exposures puts individuals at greater risk for a variety of outcomes. So what we need to be focused on as a whole, not only within the military, within the VA, but as society in general, is supporting individuals who served our country and doing everything we can to help them transition from military service to civilian life. It's a very interesting article. I hope that you as listeners give this a read because I, I agree with him that you know this is something that needs to be talked about, an attention that needs to be paid to it. Um, because I feel like that will should should elicit more response from civilian life, civilian world, society to help out our, our post 9-11 veterans. Yeah, absolutely. And I wonder if uh, in the accidental deaths uh, is included drug overdoses. Um, you know, I've had I've had actually several friends of mine that I served with, you know, uh, pass away due to due to drug overdoses. Um, these these numbers. These numbers don't lie, and it's something that we've talked about before. This is a this is a cost of war, right? It's not just in the amount of money spent on on the on the war itself, the equipment, or the 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 deaths accounted for in the combat zone, right? There is a there is a continuing cost um, for all of this, for the all the treatment they get at the VA afterwards, for uh, to those who who die when they come home for a variety of reasons. Um, and, and I think the, uh, the author is, is right on to generate awareness, to get people, you know, more involved, to, to understand. So to have society understand, you know, what, what these service members have been through, um, I think is, is extremely important. And then to, to build that um, social support structure to help reintegrate those people back in, because it's, it's not where it needs to be. Well said. Ryan, would you like our next article? 
Yeah. Um, so there was a great uh, video. Um, if you're not familiar with Black Rifle Coffee Company, they do have a publication called Coffee or Die, and they went out and followed and did the uh, and followed the best TACP competition, which was hosted in Texas. Um, if you're not familiar with what a TACP is, um, they are Air Force uh, special operators who they are experts in all sorts of things, but primarily. Um, uh, air combat control, uh, call for fire, radio communications, those sorts of things. So what you really think about them is they are um, specialized force multipliers uh, that get embedded with, you know, uh, conventional or special operations forces to coordinate airstrikes or coordinate artillery or, or do all of those things. But they have to be these super tough uh, guys and girls who also have to keep up with these, you know, conventional units, these infantry guys, these, you know, special forces dudes. So they host this competition to uh, to have a best TACP competition. Uh, it was really interesting watch um, and really gives you an appreciation for how tough these uh, these TACPs are. And, and TACP stands for Tactical Air Control Party. Uh, so it's a four-day competition where they go through obstacle courses, PT tests, land navs, ruck marches, uh, call for fire drills, ranges, um, all, all sorts of stuff, radio drills. And it was just really interesting to see uh, what uh, these professionals go through. And I thought what was really interesting uh, was that they had been designated um, a weapon of war right so these individual, individual was does designated yes. a weapon of war so so they have this interview with the video uh with an air force colonel and they're talking about how these tac p's are are now like designated as you know they are they are a human weapon of war and i was like that is that's a cool title that's something that you can you know you can put on your your tombstone when you're long and gone like i was a know, weapon of here war. here lies ryan you know weapon of war <laughs> <laughs> So it was pretty a cool. little less than these guns. Yeah, exactly. Right. These, <laughs> I mean, that's that's pretty impressive. So, I mean, just the fact that these these airmen were going through uh, so much uh, they and what special operations forces have done over the past 20 years and how good they have gotten at their job. Uh, it was really cool to see them put their skills on display. So it's a cool video to watch. It's a cool publication, cool website to check out. Uh, so I'd encourage you to do that. Awesome. What do you what do you think, Sean? When you when you think of like special forces like what 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 envision what what comes to mind i have always been a, a, a sort of a nerdy fan of the one guy versus everybody type type trope of of bond or born or jack ryan you know like these guys that are just like above and beyond everybody else and then go in and take everybody else uh, you know that that's sort of like a different thing than than uh, i would say that the tac p guys are that are guys and gals are because i think they're working as a as a unit um but certainly when you think of special operators, there's this there's this sort of myth to them in our society of just like in VBC, um, if you're listening, if you've never heard of VBC, this podcast is a, like was created by the Veterans Breakfast Club. And we were hosting programs all the time, every Monday. I say this because uh, we have had on special operators that we've talked with. And they don't usually go into like the minute details of battles that they've been in because those got pretty serious and not usually something that they want to relive and talk about usually, but they'll lay hints. They'll talk about some aspects of them. And the situations that these guys even allude to being into are crazy, like one against 10 or more, um, you know, getting grabbed up by, you know, a helicopter's taking off and you're grabbing on and as it's taken off, it's, it's nuts. Um, 
But they also have, because of that sort of little bit of secrecy, I think that's really sort of developed this interesting myth to them of like, what are they really doing? These special operators that are going in behind enemy, enemy lines or tip of the spear. I think they are uh, badass, like just badass. Um, yeah. I, I can't imagine doing anything that anybody does in the military simply from a civilian perspective. Um, but certainly these guys that, uh, you know, will get dropped out in the middle behind enemy lines and have to like figure it out. You know, they have a mission and figure it out over the next couple of days. And hopefully we see you on the other side. I can't even put myself into the mindset of what you got to prep yourself for to do that. Um, so certainly tip my hat and just honor and respect to every single one of them. It seems like all of them should get a medal of honor simply for just deciding to do that. Um, cause I find it just absolutely crazy um that's that's my two cents <laughs> <laughs> well i think you're right on i think when you got uh the the some of the special operators that i've had the privilege of working with in the past um they're they all have like the same personality type right and what they're looking for in those in those in those guys is you know to be able to do what you just said just figure it out right like they want those types of thinkers like you're not bound by doctrine or nobody's going to tell you exactly what to do they're going to put you in a place they're going to give you a mission and they're going to let you go about it and all those guys have that just in spades right mm -hmm. they're just they're just kind of like free thinkers and okay this doesn't work i'm not going to use this piece of military gear i'm going to use this because this works better for what i'm trying to do and we're going to do it this way mm -hmm. you know and they're yeah and it's they're very just, macgyver yeah just very macgyver very just and just so impressive in their in their physical ability, mm -hmm. right? Just every single one just could run, could outrun you in full gear and you'd be in gym shorts and they would just <laughs> take off and you'd never catch them. Right. right. They're, yeah, awesome. And what I found interesting is that that stays with them, even outside of service. Like we talked with some guys who were in their 70s, 80s who are still out there just running, just like driven. And that's just yeah. like the mindset of who they are, even probably before they were in the military, just driven um, yeah. to do that. Uh, and I found that in, you know, or the, the one gentleman was, was doing a triathlon and, you know, he's 80 and it's like, you're doing a triathlon, you're 80. Wow. Like, okay. I, I, I am in awe of that. It's, it's incredible to, to talk with these guys. Um, but also I think in, in the other side of that is veterans who kind of were just there, never left you know the fob um or never went beyond the wire uh kind of look at those guys maybe and see like you know i didn't do that so i really shouldn't tell my story but you know that's something we've also learned at bbc is that like every veteran has a story so these guys might yeah. have like the the i'd say the crazy stories of the things they got themselves involved in but that doesn't make their story i think any more important than the guys who who never left the wire yeah yeah um but to our audience, uh, we're going to be doing more of these news updates, Ryan and I, uh, coming up in our season six, as we are going to be wrapping up season five here in the next month. Uh, but you can always uh, like, share, subscribe, ring the bell on YouTube, and you can always reach out to me at Sean, S-H-A-U-N, at veteransbreakfastclub.org. Always interested to hear your thoughts and comments. Um, and if you have an idea for a Ryan rants, make sure you send it along to me, because... <laughs> We will certainly take that under consideration. Uh, thank you for listening, and we hope to see you on the next episode of The Scuttlebutt. See you guys.